Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors of the church. It is good to have you uh, worshiping with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, please join me in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, we are getting close to our conclusion of Hebrews 13. Lord willing, uh, we'll conclude our study in Hebrews uh, next Sunday, uh, next Sunday. So we're going to get us almost to the end, uh, Hebrews chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to grab one. There should be one underneath the seats in front of you, a uh, hard-covered black Bible somewhere nearby. If you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, you can take that home, consider that our gift to you. But you'll want to open up and read from God's Word with us. Uh, don't just assume that I know what I'm talking about. I want you to see it in the text for yourself. The question you see on the screen is, how then shall we live? How then shall we live? We've, uh, we've gone through some challenging texts in the book of Hebrews, some difficult texts about who Jesus is and why we should worship him and why we should not go back to what we're comfortable with, but instead should press on towards a different kind of life in Christ. And what we'll see this morning is several exhortations for us, how we're supposed to live life. And so my question for us this morning is, how then shall we live? What should our life look like? What type of things should we be doing with our lives? Let me just expose a few answers that I think our society is giving us to this question. Right? Number one, we are told to be fearful. Right? Whatever you do, be fearful. Right? There's lots of stuff to be scared of, and there are people who are trying to uh, show us all of those things, so be fearful. Uh, the news producers have learned and the uh, social media algorithm writers have learned that fear sells. And so they are trying to constantly in your life. And so they want to tell us to be fearful. Well, what else do they tell us? They tell us to be ever-changing, right? Always look for the new thing. Always look for the new fad. Don't, oh, you're doing this. I, you don't need to do that anymore. Do this thing. Oh, you don't need to do that anymore. Do this thing. And so there's this ever-changing nature of our world. That's what our world's trying to tell us to be, is ever-changing. It's also trying to tell us to be self-serving, right? Do I need to elaborate on this one? This is like our entire culture, right? Customer is always right. Look out for number one. Take care of yourself. Nobody else will, right? Be self-serving. And lastly, we're told to be angry. Oh, nobody comes out and says it quite like that. Uh, but we're encouraged to be angry. If they figured out that fear sells, they've also figured out that we've got to do something with that fear. And what they are offering us is anger. And it's very simple to blame they, right? To blame them, the news people and the social media algorithm, right? And everything else that we might find. But honestly, our the reason that sells is because there's something in our fallen human nature that actually wants that, right? There's something in our fallen human nature that, that is scared, right? 
There's something in our fallen human nature that wants to look out for number one, wants to look out for ourselves. There's something in our fallen human nature that wants to be angry at everybody else, right? Because if they're the problem, then I don't have to worry about myself. Am I getting it right? Like, is that what the world answers this question with? I know I'm getting like older and more and more out of touch uh, as we go. I also know that I have a weird uh, life because I'm a pastor and pastors just have weird lives, right? We do weird things. Uh, We're able to like sit around and read books and like get around with other pastors and we just do weird stuff. It's, It's not like a normal life. But am I getting it right? Is this what the world is telling us? I'm getting a little north and south like this is what the world and our flesh is telling us. Well, the question is, is that the life you want? Is that the life you want? Or do you want something else? Do you want something different from that type of life? In our passage this morning, we're going to see a better way to live. We're going to be exhorted, we're going to be encouraged to live a very different type of life. We're going to be exhorted that because of Jesus' work that we've spent lots of weeks talking about, because of Jesus' work, live fearless, steadfast, sacrificial, and joyful lives. Live fearless, steadfast, sacrificial, and joyful lives. Pick it up with me in Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 1. He says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ, same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruits of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. 
Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for confronting us with the truths of your scripture to transform us according to your good and perfect ways. Lord, I pray that you would transform one of us here, transform us according to the way of life that you would have us to live, the way of life that can only be found in Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So the structure for this passage is really going to be walking through the four uh, attributes that I talked about in the, the main idea. Be to live fearless, steadfast, sacrificial, and joyful lives. So the first one is to live fearless, for God is with you. Live fearless, for God is with you. We see this in verses 1 through 6. Our passage today in verses 1 through 6 begins with eight exhortations, eight instructions, right? In In the book of Hebrews, we've had lots of big, powerful truths about who Jesus is, and we've had a few instructions, a few exhortations along the way, but here in these last couple chapters, they've kind of sped up, and we've gotten more and more instructions. And then here, in just five verses, really four and a half verses, we get eight instructions back to back. Notice them with me. The first one in verse 1, let brotherly love continue. Verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Verse 3, remember those who are in prison. Still in verse 3, remember those who are mistreated. Verse 4, let marriage be held in honor among all. Then also let the marriage bed be undefiled. Verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money And lastly, be content with what you have. So we have all these instructions, all these instructions. I'm not going to go through every single one and what exactly uh, that means and how it applies to our lives because I'm keeping in mind our attention span for such things, right? Uh, But let me just look at a couple of them. So the first one is love the brothers. Anytime in the New Testament you see uh, something that we're to do to the brothers or to one another, Almost always, that is not talking about your biological siblings or your adopted siblings or your step-siblings or anything like that. It's talking about your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he's telling us to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, your fellow Christians. Well, I don't know if you've ever tried to do this, but this is a challenging endeavor. Because in our minds, we're thinking, oh, the people of God, so they're supposed to be like perfect, right? And they're supposed to treat me awesome all the time. But you've probably figured out, if you've tried to do this at all, you've probably figured out, well, hang on a second, sometimes Christians sin, 
And sometimes Christians sin against me. Sometimes Christians sin against you. The other challenge that there is to loving brothers and sisters in Christ is not everybody who calls themselves a Christian is actually a Christian. Right? Did you know that calling yourself a Christian does not make you a Christian? Any more than me calling myself an astronaut makes me an astronaut. It just doesn't make us a Christian. And so sometimes you're going to go and try to love brothers and sisters in Christ, and you're going to be faced with a wolf or a false teacher who is lashing out against you. We actually have a term for this in our society, don't we? Because it's happened so much. It's called church hurt. You could Google church hurt. I don't think I'd recommend you do that. But it's a real thing. And many of you are here in spite of being very hurt by people who have claimed to be Christians and have abused their authority and or abused your trust of them. And I'm thankful that you're here. I hope you know that some people that you go to work with and some people that are in your neighborhoods, they won't come to church because they've been hurt by the church. And so you need to show them the love of Christ where they are. And over time, maybe invite them back in. But it's challenging. It's actually a a scary thing to love brothers and sisters in Christ. Another one, it says, show hospitality to strangers. Right? Hospitality is to open up one's life to another person. Right? So uh, we think about it, opening up our homes and allowing people into our home where we live and showing hospitality in that way. And that is part of hospitality, but really hospitality is to open up our lives, to open up our calendars, to open up our checkbooks, to open up all of our lives on behalf of, hear what it's talking about, on behalf of strangers. Show hospitality to strangers. When was the last time you let a stranger come in your house? When was the last time you had a stranger in your car? When was the last time you gave something that caused you to sacrifice for a stranger? We've got a term for this as well. What do we say? Stranger, danger, right? A lot of people teach their kids, stranger, danger. Like every stranger is dangerous. Okay, that's not true. Some strangers are dangerous, but every stranger is not dangerous. Some strangers are angels. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Some strangers are angels. So maybe we should find some way to make that rhyme uh, and teach our kids, hey, some strangers are angels. It's close. It doesn't, I couldn't quite get it to rhyme, but we're, we're getting close. But it can be scary to show hospitality to strangers. There's two exhortations on money. Uh, one, it says there in, uh, in verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. That's scary. Right? Be content with what you have, because we start to think, well, what if it's not enough? Well, what if something happens? I need like this pile of money for all the stuff that might happen. Or you start to think like, well, if I got enough money, then I could like not work. Right? I could spend the last 20, 30, 40 years of my life just doing whatever I want. Maybe God thinks that that's not the best thing for you. So it can be scary to obey these instructions as well, to keep our life free from the love of money and to be content with what we have. I contend that this Christian life that is being proposed here in Hebrews chapter 13 is a very fearful thing. It's a very scary thing. 
And some of you are like, man, maybe I didn't get point number one down right in my notes. I thought you said to live fearless, and there was a reason that you get like live fearless, but you're telling me that all these things are fear-inducing things. And, I, and that, that's to go along with all the other stuff that just as humans we could be fearful of, right? There's still hurricanes, there's still brain aneurysms and heart attacks and car crashes and all the other things that we could be fearful of. Now you're adding these other things that I'm supposed to be doing as well. What's, what's going on? Well, God instructs us and tells us that we can live without fear. Notice verse 6. Verse 6 says, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So that's what God has for you, to live a life where you can say those things, and you can say those things confidently. So how are you doing? How is your life? Can you confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Man can't do anything to me that would cause me to fear because God's my helper. If you're struggling with that, well, how do we get there? Well, that's what's in the end of verse 5. Notice the end of verse 5. God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So the way that we get from all the fear-filled stuff to the point of saying, I will not fear, the thing between those two things is a promise from God, that He will be with us. What the writer of Hebrews here is doing is quoting from Joshua chapter 1. If you're not familiar, Joshua chapter 1, God is speaking to Joshua. What has happened is Moses, the previous leader of Israel, Moses, the guy that wrote the first five books of the Bible, Moses, the guy that led the uh, Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, through many miracles. He, uh, God used him to sustain his people through 40 years of wandering in the desert. Moses has just died, and God is looking at Joshua and saying, you're up, it's your turn. You're going to lead my people. Okay, what are we going to do? Well, you're going to go take over the promised land. Well, God, I thought you were just going to give it to us. Yeah, I gave it to you but you're still going to go conquer the promised land. So the rest of your life, Joshua, is going to be you in battle in leading the people of God against all these people that are in the promised land. And God comforts him by saying, I'm going to be with you. The whole time, I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you, and I'm not going to forsake you. And what the author of Hebrews here is doing is saying that that same God who promised to be with Joshua is with you and I. If we are in Christ, God is with us. The truth that will allow us to live fearlessly is that God is with us. The God who was with Joshua and the Israelites as they entered in and conquered the promised land, that same God is with you. If you are in Christ, God is with you. All right, so as you leave here and you go out into the world, if you're in Christ, God is with you. Tomorrow morning as you walk into work and you're like, I don't know if there's any other Christians there, God is with you. He's walking with you into that place. When you go back to the barracks and you're like, I don't, man, it's, it's hard there. God is with you. 
when you go back to the hallways and the classrooms of school, God is with you. When you're doing the mundane tasks of life, God is with you. You don't have to fear, because God is with you. That's the thing that will encourage you to live fearlessly. When you see a brother or sister that needs your help, and you're like, man, I've been hurt doing this before. I don't want to do this again. I'm, I'm worried that they're going to hurt me again. God is with you and can encourage you and empower you to move forward. When you see a stranger who's in need and you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you, I need you to show hospitality to this person. I need you to open up your life to this person. God is with you. When you're looking at your finances and you're like, I don't see how it's all going to add up. I really want to go do this quick, uh, get rich quick scheme that I heard about. Maybe I can invest in this thing or maybe I can go do this thing. No, no, no. God is with you. He will be enough for you. You don't have to chase other things. God is with you. You can live fearlessly. Notice again the statement there in verse 6. We can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Live fearless. God is with you. Second thing we see in verse 7 through 9. Verse 7 through 9, live steadfast. Jesus never changes. Live steadfast. Jesus never changes. So in verse 7, we see, remember your leaders. You're like, well, that's interesting. And then what he goes on to talk about is he's starting to say that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever in verse 8. And he's encouraging a steadfast life. All right, so a steadfast life is following leaders who are steadfast. Right, so a steadfast life that we can have is by following leaders who are steadfast. The way that we achieve that steadfastness is following the right leaders and staying away from the wrong leaders. Let me just point out a couple attributes of the right leaders to follow that will lead to a steadfast life versus a life of wandering and bouncing back and forth. Number one is right there in verse 7. These good leaders that we're to follow... Speak the word of God. They speak the word of God. One of the challenges if as, uh, as leaders we're asked questions is we're so tempted to just give advice. And we're tempted to give advice based on our experience or what we think would be a good idea or what has worked for us. But what we really need to be doing as leaders and the types of leaders that we all need to be following are those who speak the word of God to us. All right, so find leaders who are speaking the word of God. Not just coming up with their opinions. Not just following the land. But they are speaking the word of God in your life. Second, this is kind of throughout. Is you'll notice he's talking about leaders in the plural. Really throughout. It's not always obvious after the word leaders. Uh, the language there is plural throughout. It's a little hard to see in the English, but uh, we need a plurality of leaders. Right? You should be concerned if every time you talk about the things of the Lord, you quote the same person. Right? 
if you, if you don't go to Scripture, or you don't have like multiple people that you're listening to, that should be concerning. We need a plurality of leaders. All right, we have a plurality of pastors here uh, that lead the church because we think that's better. We think that's what the Scriptures would have us to do. This passage and other passages. But it applies to even more than that, right? It applies to what we read, right? So if you went home and looked at your bookshelf or your, uh, your digital bookshelf and everything's from the same author, right? Or you, 50% of your books are from the same author, that should cause you concern, right? So think about it. Take an inventory. The, the last few books that you have read, is it all the same person? I remember I was meeting with a guy pretty regularly a few years back. And uh, he always had a book with him, right? He had his Bible and his notebook and another book. And I was like, man, this guy's really well read. Well, about the fifth book I saw in his hands, they had all been from the same author. And so I asked him, I was like, hey, man, do you ever read from anybody else? Like, and it was a good author. It wasn't a bad author. But it was, I was like, do you ever read from another source? All right, we need to have a plurality of elders. I know many of, some of you might not be readers, Right? But you, you go down like YouTube vortexes, right? and you're like, oh man, I like this guy. And there's some great YouTube personalities, right? and there's a lot of spiritual personalities. There's a lot of pastors on there that have YouTube channels. But man, if, if I go to your YouTube history and it's all the same guy, it's all the same teacher, that can be concerning, right? that you're just following one person. We need to have a plurality of leaders. Number three this is in the second half of verse 7. We need leaders that you can know and watch. Leaders that you can know and watch. The outcome of their life, preferably over a long period of time. But leaders you can know and watch. I understand in our day with, uh, with Spotify, with podcasts, with uh, YouTube, with other places, Man, you could listen to some amazing preachers, preachers that are far better orators. Ask ourselves is, are you able to watch their life? Are you able to watch the outcome of their life? I'm not saying you should find perfect people in this life because outside of Jesus, you're not going to find one but to watch their life, watch the outcome of their life. You need leaders that you can personally know and watch. The fourth trait of these godly leaders in verses 8 and 9 is that they are consistently godly leaders, consistently godly leaders. And we're even told why. It's because Jesus never changes, right? So if there's a Christian leader, if there's a Christian pastor that's always shifting and having a new trend or having a new thing or no you got to do this or you got to do that that's concerning because the Jesus that we propose to follow never changes and so the leaders should be steadfast over a long period of time and as we follow those leaders we can be steadfast why should we be steadfast because Jesus never changes how? Follow steadfast, godly leaders that you can imitate their manner of life. Be steadfast. Jesus never changes. The third big one uh, for the sermon is to live sacrificial. 
Jesus died for you. Live sacrificial. Jesus died for you. Verses 10 through 16. Notice the summary there in verse 16 of these verses. He says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So notice, do not neglect to do good and share what you have. That sounds like a lot of what we talked about in verses 1 through 5, right? Love the brothers, show hospitality to strangers, be content with what you have, be generous with what you have, go and uh, remember those in prison, remember those mistreated, right? All of those things are external, doing good things, sharing what you have with others, and he mentions that this is going to be sacrificial, going to be sacrificial. So we should be living sacrificial lives for the good of others, sharing what we have and loving others. He gives a couple reasons. The first one's right there in verse 16. This type of life, these types of sacrifices, a sacrificial life is pleasing to God. It's pleasing to God. So if you want to please God, that's honestly one of the big themes of this whole book of Hebrews, it's in the benediction of Hebrews that's at the very end of the book, that we would live a life that is pleasing to God. If you want to live a life that's pleasing to God in the end, live a life that is sacrificial. Also, we see in verses 12 and 13 that a sacrificial life is following Jesus. Following Jesus. If you claim to be a Christian, a Christ follower, and we should follow the life of Jesus. Jesus' life was full of sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice until the end when he sacrificed his own life. And we learn in the Gospels that his life wasn't taken from him, but he laid it down of his own accord. We claim to follow Jesus. We should follow him in his suffering. We should follow him in his sacrifice. The third reason we're given to live a sacrificial life is in verse 14. Notice it with me there, verse 14. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Right? So all the things that we saw at the very beginning of our passage, those types of things, if we're caring about this life primarily, we're going to hoard it all, right? We're going to try to keep it all. If you're trying to like build for retirement and do whatever you want for the last 20 years of your life, then you're going to hoard things to yourself. If you're worried about getting hurt in this life, you're going to keep people at arm's distance and you're not going to draw close to them. But the writer of Hebrews reminds us, eh, there's no lasting kingdom here. There's no lasting city here. We seek the city that is to come. And so if we keep our minds set on the city that is to come, then whatever happens to us here really doesn't matter that much, right? right? Oh, you, man, I, got, I got frauded by one of my bro somebody claiming to be my brother. That's okay. I got eternal things in glory, right? I've got everything I ever need. I, I, I get... Um, I get uh, reproach from other people where they, they don't want to live or they, uh, they're against me, they're ostracizing me, they're making fun of me, and I feel like I don't have any friends. 
that's okay. We're going to have friends in new creation, right? We're going to have all kinds of friends. Jesus is our older brother. We'll be with him forever. All the saints of old will be with forever. The cloud of witnesses back in Hebrews chapter 11, those will be our friends. Abel will be your friend for all creation, all, all eternity, right? Moses will be your friend. Abraham will be your friend, right? All of these will be your friends for all of eternity. So if you lose all your friends in this life, you've got plenty of friends in new creation. Plenty of friends. You've got plenty of money in new creation. You've got a nice house in new creation. You've got everything you could ever want. We don't have to cling to it in this life. We can live a life of sacrificial giving to others. Live a life of sacrificial giving to others. Jesus died for you. You may be saying, man, sacrifice? That sounds miserable, right? And so you think, you're like, okay, live this sacrificial life. I'll, I'll grit up and I'll, I'll just, I'll live like the monks and we'll have nothing and the minimalist thing. We'll just, we'll just continue to do that, uh, but we're just going to be miserable. I can assure you this Christian life is not miserable, Look what Jesus did over in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we're told to look to Jesus. We're told that Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. But what did he do? For the joy that was set before him... He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured suffering for a joy that he saw set before him. So the sacrificial life can actually also be a joy-filled life. So that's our first point this morning, verses 17 through 19. Live joyful in beautiful harmony. Live joyful in beautiful harmony. The instruction is simple in verse 17, is it not? Obey your leaders. Right? And something about us doesn't want to obey leaders, doesn't want to obey any authorities in our life. That's part of the fall, fallen human nature in us, is that we don't want to obey leaders. And so it's a clear, simple instruction. Obey your leaders. But what I want you to see is the beautiful, joyful harmony of godly leadership and submission. Notice what it says that your leaders, verse 7, are keeping watch over your souls. And they're going to have to give an account for how we do so. And that how you submit should let them do their leadership with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, to be clear, the author of Hebrews has already told us what good leaders are and what bad leaders are, right? This isn't just like anybody who claims to be a leader in your life, anybody who claims to be a spiritual leader in your life, anybody who claims to be a pastor, you need to obey them. That's not what he's talking about here. He's already talked about what a good leader is, right? We, we talked about that earlier. He's talked about those who uh, speak the word of God, those who you can actually watch the outcome of their lives, 
those who are, you have a plurality of leaders and those who are consistent over the long haul. Those are the types of leaders you're looking for. Now what he's saying is, when you find that type of leader, obey them. They're trying to help you. They're trying to guide you. They're trying to protect your soul from things that are not good for you. God is using them in your life for you. So listen to them. When you find steadfast, godly leaders who faithfully teach you the word of God, whose life lines up with what they teach, and they have a faith that you can see and imitate, when you find those leaders, obey them. And you'll notice that your joy is our joy, and our joy is your joy. Right? So when godly people submit to godly leaders, who's joyful? All of us. Right? It's all working in beautiful harmony together. Everything works together as it ought to. Now, let me encourage you to take the vagueness out of passages like this in your Bible. Okay? I will tell you, we as leaders of the church try to take some of the vagueness out of this. Okay? So it says in verse 17, the very end of verse 17, that leaders will give an account to God for how we lead. And so we sit around and we ask questions and we think, okay, well, who are we giving an account for? Is it the person that like snuck in the back one Sunday, listened for a few minutes and then snuck back out? Like, am I giving an account for them? Eh, to an extent, if I say something careless, maybe. All right? How about somebody that's, that's here and they're here for like a couple weeks and then they leave and they go to a church down the street? No, I think the church down the street, their leaders have responsibility for their souls. Okay? So what we as leaders do and what we as a church do is we practice regenerative church membership. Right? That's a, there's a couple big words there, especially regenerative is one you probably don't use on a regular basis. But basically, we have a list of the members of this church, people who have covenanted together and said, this is our church. Right? We want to be a part of this church. We love her doctrine. We love her direction. And this is where we're going to be. We're going to be here until we go and find another church elsewhere. So we're committed together. And we as leaders have that list, right? It's, uh, it's 99 when I looked this morning. We're going to add like six more today, I believe. Uh, and so we've got 99. It's about to change to 105, right? So we've tried to take the vagueness out of this, and we want to have responsibility and care for these people. Actually, if we could, I know you're like settled in and you got stuff on your lap and all that, but if we could, if you're a member in good standing of this church, would you stand right now? Okay. This isn't all 99 to 105 of us, but this is a lot of us, right? These are the members of the church that have covenanted together with one another, right? So we're taking the vagueness out of it. You can have a seat. Elders stay put. Uh, would elders stand up? Pastors, elders? Scott just stepped out, I think. All right. Uh, we have five elders in this church, five pastors. We use those terms interchangeably, pastors, elders. All right. So myself, Jonathan Davis, Jonathan Gentry. The other guys are not named Jonathan, which helps. Uh, you guys can have a seat. Uh, Scott Groves and Mike DeLarge, right? So again, like, we're trying to take the vagueness out of this. So when we're talking about obeying leaders, first and foremost, we're talking about the pastors of this church. Okay? 
I understand a lot of you are not members of this church and you're not members of any church. I would encourage you to join in membership with a church. Take the vagueness out of this passage. Join with a church. You may say, well, y'all do some weird stuff here that I can't get on board with. That's great. We know other churches. We're friendly with other churches in the area. We can probably recommend a place that could be helpful for you. Okay, But join in membership of the church. Take the vagueness out of these types of passages. Uh, this will act you from just like seeing some interesting video from somebody that claims to be a spiritual leader or picking up some random book and start reading it and saying like, oh, I'm going to follow whatever they tell me in this book or whatever they tell me in this video. Don't do that. It can be really dangerous. So take the vagueness out of passages like this one. Obey your leaders. Obey them with joy and obey them in such a way that they lead you with joy and not with groaning. Be joyful in beautiful harmony with one another. I imagine that this passage and all these instructions that we have are kind of landing on you in some different ways, right? Every single person, it's hitting them a little differently. But if I could, let me just kind of talk to each of us in different groups, all right? What I would encourage all of us to do is look at this life that we've been talking about, right? We're looking at this fearless life, this steadfast life, this sacrificial, this joyful life. I want you to look at that, what the Scripture says, what the Scripture is describing, and examine your own life, right? and kind of put them next to each other. How are you doing? I imagine some of you are in a group that would say, man, I've called myself a Christian for a long time. But there's a disconnect, right? Like if, if that's what the Christian life is, my life's nothing like that. And like I said earlier, you just calling yourself a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. And so if you look at the life, the Christian life that is outlined in Hebrews 13, and you look at your own life, and they're not matching up, you need to repent of that life, and believe in Jesus Christ, and believe that He can bring you into the life that's described here at the end of Hebrews 13. Now, one of the pastors might want to help walk you through if that's like initial repentance, and like, you're becoming a Christian for the first time, or maybe you just like never really got it, and, and you were a Christian all along, but nobody ever taught you some of these things, that your life should match up with what you say you believe, or maybe other, something else has happened. Maybe we can walk you through that, but I know for sure that if your life is not matching up with the Scriptures, you need to turn from that life and start walking in the life that God has for you. It's a joyful life. So that's one group. Uh, I usually hang out up front here. Maybe one or, one or two of the other pastors would hang out front here as well. If you need somebody to talk to, just come up and talk to us. Tell us what's going on in your life. The second group is, uh, you're looking at that, you're like, okay, this is the Christian life. This is my life. It's not like completely opposite. I feel like I've grown. If I look back over the past couple of years, I can see that I'm moving in this direction you know that you're a Christian, you're confident that you're a Christian, you're not questioning that, you just see some things in your life during this sermon, and as you look at this text that you're like, 
Yeah, I need to clean some of those things up. Let me encourage you to do that today. Right? Repent of those things. Walk in obedience in those things. Don't delay. One of our temptations is to delay. One of our temptations is to say, yeah, maybe next year I'll, I'll start to show hospitality to strangers. Maybe, maybe in my next duty station, I'll start to love the brothers and I'll, I'll do that. Maybe, uh, maybe here when life settles down, we'll join a church and begin to obey that church's leaders. Let me encourage you not to delay. Obey today. Follow the Lord today. Repent of those things. Walk in obedience today. The last group of folks is you're like, man, I'm hearing all this. I'm very new to all of this. It sounds like you're talking to Christians for the most part. It sounds like you're talking to people who understand the Bible. Like you didn't even tell me what page Hebrews was on. I had to go look in the table of contents. Like this is all really new for me. And, and so I'm just trying to like add some things up. So let me speak to you for just a moment. If you have not placed your faith and your trust and your belief in Jesus Christ for salvation, then the truths and the promises that I talked about are not true for you in any way that will ultimately matter. So, so let me just go through a few of them. I said that we're to live fearless because God is with you. If you're not in Christ, then God is not with you in any salvific way, in any way that would save you, in any way that would matter in eternity. Every once in a while, people will quote uh, from Romans chapter 8, and maybe you've heard Christians quote this verse, and they'll say, well, God is for us, who can be against us? Right? And maybe you've taken that on board and you said, well, okay, God is for me. Who can be against us? Well, the first word of that verse is actually the word if. If God is for us, who can be against us? So if you're not in Christ, God is not with you in any way that ultimately matters. Is God everywhere all the time? Of course. He's not with you in the same way that we're talking about here. Also, we talked about living steadfast. If you've ever wondered why your life, if you were to look back over the past couple of months or the past couple of years, and your life looks like a pinball machine, and you're the ball in the pinball machine, does anybody play pinball anymore? I don't know. But if your life, you feel like you're the pinball, and like you're just constantly changing and running after this and running after that, if that's what your life feels like, it's because you don't have the steadfastness that can be found in Christ and in Christ alone. I said to live sacrificial, and I said to live joyful, and those things are kind of next to each other. You say, man, I've been living my whole life for me, and it's miserable. That's what's true if you're apart from Christ. And so the way to change all of that is to repent from that life, to repent of trying to live life on your own, repent of living life for yourself, and turn to Christ and be saved. Repent and be saved. I encourage you to do so today. Earlier on in the book of Hebrews. Because you're going to be tempted to, uh, to delay as well. Just like Christians are tempted to delay. You're going to be tempted to put it off. 
you're going to be tempted to say, eh, maybe I'll look into this later. Maybe I'll look into this next week. Maybe I'll, I'll check this out for a little bit. But I would encourage you to repent and believe today. Earlier in Hebrews, he says, let today be the day of salvation. So that can happen for you. Today, you can repent and you can believe. It would just sound simply like this. You can pray it right there in your seat. You can say, God, I, I need to be saved. I don't know everything that guy's talking about up there, but I need to be saved. I need Jesus' perfect life to count for me. I need Jesus' sacrificial death to count for me. I need that. My life's been a mess, and I need the joy and the peace and the steadfastness that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Again, we usually have some leaders that hang out here up at the front. So after the service, then you can, uh, you can come up and talk to one of us. Let me give you one more thing to do because we say that pretty often. You see up there on the screen it says, have questions about the sermon text pillar, the word pillar, to the number 94,000. You could do that right now. And when it says like question for the sermon or prayer request or something like that, you could do that option and you could text us. I need to talk to somebody about knowing Jesus, all right, and we'll follow up with you. If you're worried, like, I'm going to be a coward 20 minutes from now, I'm scared to do that 20 minutes from now, I know I'm going to stop, you could text us right now, we'll, we'll follow up with you uh, as well. But I would encourage you, let today be the day of salvation. Let me go back to those groups one and two, those who, are, uh, who would claim to be Christians. We are called to live differently than the watching world. We're called to live differently. And so commit today to live differently. I understand the world is scared. Imagine how, uh, how it for them to see somebody. Right? Imagine how attractive that would be to see someone who's not like, Chasing everything else all the time. It would be very attractive, would it not? So we are called to live differently. Because of Jesus' work, live fearless, live steadfast, live sacrificial, and live joyful. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you to help us. Lord, I ask that you would show everyone who is in here how they need to respond to your word today. Lord, would you give us strength and courage and will to walk in what we need to change today. For those who need to repent of sin, give them the strength and the courage to do so. Those who need to walk in obedience, give them the strength and the courage to do so. Lord, we need your help. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.